good. Sounds yeah. great. <laughs> okay. Welcome everybody to a special edition of the Voice Podcast. My name is Leighton. I'm one of the co-hosts. As always, I'm joined uh, by Student Association of President L. How are you doing today, L? I'm doing really great, Leighton. Thanks for having me. Good. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Reed. It's nice to have you back on, man. Um, he was one of our former hosts and he's joining us now for the first time in a month. Uh, welcome, Reed. Thanks for having me back, guys. Good. And uh, our guest of honor today, Mr. Chris Neeland, all the way from Calgary, Alberta. Uh, Chris is the CEO of Cult Collective and the Chief Operating Officer of Communo. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you uh, making yourself available and uh, welcome to the Voice Podcast. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm flattered that I could draw Reed back out of retirement here. <laughs> <laughs> Another show. That's yeah. awesome. Um, so Chris, yeah. let's get into it. Um, I was wondering if you could start by telling us a little bit about your background and how you came to find yourself in Calgary and found two companies there. Yeah, I'm a uh, kind of classically trained uh, marketing professional. I have a, both undergraduate and graduate degrees in marketing and marketing communications. Uh, I was initially client side. Uh, and uh, kind of sold my soul and joined an agency in 2005 out of Dallas, Texas. And, um, you know, this agency was uh, a part of the Omnicom holding group. There are four holding companies that represent well over 70% of all the advertising that takes place. And um, I'm sure there are some advantages to those. I have a hard time thinking of any off the top of my head. I did not enjoy being part of a big holding company. Um, I like the, uh, uh, the independent agency model much more, um, as well as my previous career was kind of having me on a path that would relocate to Manhattan. And that probably sounds exciting for a lot of 20-somethings. I was 30-something with three young kids and no interest in trying to raise a family in Manhattan. Um, so I just started looking for other opportunities and uh, uh, something popped up in Calgary, Alberta. And I didn't know, I, I, I remembered that Alberta had hosted the Olympics. I knew that and um, I knew it was in the mountains <laughs> and I had gone to school in Salt Lake and kind of fell in love with living in the Rocky Mountains. And with those two things, I came out here and did a job interview I actually interviewed on Valentine's Day, 2010. I remember that because my wife was pissed. And I, um, it, but Calgary was Chinooking, which for those of you who don't know, a Chinook is an, an unseasonably warm front that blows through sort of like the Santa Ana winds in California. And it warms everything up for a few days. And so I'm walking around in like six Celsius saying, what are all these people complaining about? Like Calgary is not even that cold. I didn't realize I was being bamboozled and that it actually needs to be 30 below, but I had never heard of a Chinook and the, the, the agency principal did not take a, the time to explain it to me. So I moved up here in May and there was snow on the ground. And I was thinking, what the hell is this all about? It was February, it was colder in May than in February. Welcome to Canada. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, so I've been in Canada since 2010 uh kind of that, that the previous agency owner uh, exited stage left and uh we started a journey that resulted in both cult and communo since then 
Yeah, interesting. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, my next question for you is, can you explain to us and our viewers what cult and communal are, how they differentiate, and uh, maybe what you, what you do on a daily basis in your operating of those two businesses? So cult is a marketing advisory firm. So we get paid mostly to do consulting work with brands that are eager to find ways to improve how they engage with customers, prospects, or staff. Um, we, we created cult because we thought there was two things that were, that, uh, there was an abundance of, there was an abundance of ad agencies, which really focus on communications, media, storytelling, creative, or there was business consultants, which really focused on helping businesses become more successful, but they really were very finance or supply chain or operations centric. So we didn't see as many marketing consultants that understood the, the creative and the communications, but didn't just wanna be in the business of making you know, pretty pictures. We wanted to actually be, have a seat at the big kid table where we're defining business strategy, but through the lens of the people who matter most, which are customers, prospects, and staff, not factories and product materials and cost of goods sold. So, so that's what Cult has been doing for the past eight years is providing those types of advisory services. Um, because it felt reckless to give a client a big idea that they had no idea how to implement and their agencies were incapable to do, um, we said, well, we should really help them figure out how to get this done. So we started aggregating the best implementers that we could find. And uh, that became dozens and then it became hundreds and it became thousands of, you know, uh, the metaphor we used was if you're a home builder, you want to find a really great granite countertop guy. You want to find a really good cabinet maker. You want to find a really good electrician. You want to find a good tile person. So you just start building all these sub trades around your home building business. That's what we did. We built a lot of sub trades around our, uh, our marketing business. And uh, that eventually became Communo. So Communo became basically a, a directory, or we call it a community of, uh, of subject matter experts that have a bunch of discrete skills that make their services available to each other on behalf of their clients. That's, that's really awesome. interesting. Sounds like there's a lot of moving pieces with everything that's going on with both sides of the business, of both businesses. So with that, how did you personally and then professionally adapt to the really quick shift that happened in the economy when coronavirus started and how are you kind of continuing that adaptation to the new business environment yeah i feel like we weathered corona better than most because in our on, on cult side of the business we were already working with businesses to stay relentlessly relevant so even though we weren't expecting a pandemic and you know it's the pandemic was bad and is bad I think the government's response to the pandemic was bad and maybe worse in regards to shutting everything down. And then you've got the recession now as a result. So even if the, the health things get better, we're dealing with the hangover of the recession. And here in Western Canada, we also have the, the demise of oil. I mean, oil went down to below $0 a barrel from $100 a barrel just a few years ago. So. We, I think we've always been trying to figure out how do you nimbly adapt to change. 
the, the, the immediacy and the steepness of this was a bit shocking, but there was already, you know, I used to do consulting. One of my first consulting gigs was with Blockbuster Video, right? Blockbuster didn't need COVID to make them irrelevant. They needed Netflix to make them irrelevant. So good firms are kind of trying to find ways to put themselves out of business anyway and to adjust for it. On the commuto side of things, we, we call COVID a creative refugee camp. I mean, there have been millions of displaced workers that need income. And so uh, the, the trend has always been towards self-employment. I think the stats say by 2025, half of North Americans will be self-employed. Um, you know, my generation grew up saying, I'm not, I'm not going to be like my dad and work for the same company for 40 years and, and retire and get the gold watch. Your generation is growing up saying, I'm not going to work for anybody. I'm going to go work for nine months, spend three months in Tahiti, come back, get a job. And you, you just are more, no, you know, you're nomads. And so the, the millennials have already taught people that work means something different now. And COVID's really accelerated what that means, either because employers aren't hiring or people are learned they can be effective working from home or they've learned I would rather have five clients giving me 20% of my income than one client giving me 100% of my income because that's I'm, I'm at risk. If that one client goes away, I'm screwed. If you have five and one or two go away, you're still making 60, 70% of what you were making before. Right, right. So. What are some next steps that you see for Colts and Communo with all that? Well, Colts on an ambition to become much more globally relevant. Both Colt and Communo started as Canadian companies. Uh, one of the good things that has happened over COVID is the foreign exchange rate has actually even gotten more attractive. It was already attractive, but now it's even more attractive. So a bunch of American businesses that want to save money can hire Canadian talent and pay, you know, they can still pay the Canadian talent hundred bucks an hour over, but it only costs them $70 because of the exchange rate. So we're very motivated to find ways to do things uh, south of the border. Uh, and as well as on the cult side, we didn't talk about it, but cult also has a very large live event called the gathering. And we're figuring out what that means. What does, what does an event that's literally called the gathering do when the government doesn't let us gather or doesn't, you know, is restricting international travel and things like that. And so uh, that's top of mind for us. Right. Yeah. I think both Leighton and Reed. Reed, did you go to the gathering as well? I didn't go to the gathering. No, no. but Leighton did. Okay. Leighton did. <laughs> Do you remember me? Well, I haven't yet books? had the pleasure. <laughs> yes. I remember meeting Leighton there. That's why I yeah. agreed to do this show. I figured he's going to get on a plane and come to the gathering. He deserves to have that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's great. Awesome. Um, Reed, I think you had one for me. Yeah, sure. So uh, you kind of touched this on a little bit, Chris, but what are some of the um, biggest trends that you're seeing in the marketing field overall um, because of COVID? Like what, what has COVID done to change um, the marketing field uh, for, for good and for worse? Well, for uh, more on the good side, it's, I think, caused marketers to become more data-driven. There used to be a lot of people that didn't think they needed customer research. They just thought, well, I've been in this business for 30 years. I know the customer. I trust my instincts. Well, I don't know that you can trust anything right now. I don't know that we know. We haven't experienced something so catastrophic 
to change our values, our beliefs, our relationships, our community. Um, so I think it's a great opportunity to do a gut check and to do some market research to decide if your customers still feel the same thing about your category or about your, um, your company. I mean, think of gyms as a great example, 24 fitness, 24 hour fitness goals, gym have all declared bankruptcy, right? And is that because they were financially mismanaged a little bit, but is it also because people are now thinking very differently about who they want to be sweating next to and breathing heavily next to really any business that requires or allowed people to be sitting shoulder to shoulder, airplanes, Disneyland, colleges, are all having to reimagine what is their relevance. And, you know, listen, it's not like we have to get through COVID. Everybody's thinking about, well, this, this is like a, 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 a once in a hundred year event. We had the Spanish flu in 1918 and now we have COVID in 2020. Uh, there are, there's going to be bio threats accelerating in just given the globalization of our economy. And frankly, some of it is natural like swine flu and some of it's terrorists. Like, People have just learned a really great way to attack the most you know, powerful countries on earth as introducing, you know, you can get a bunch of people laced up. So I'm not, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist or a fear monger, but I don't think that we should say, I can't wait till COVID's over so we can get back to what we used to do. I think we will permanently change a few aspects the same way that, you know, one terrorist putting a bomb in his shoe has made us take off our shoes at airports for the, you know, the next 18 years. We'll think differently about how we uh, mingle going forward. What's, what's the biggest uh, trend that you think we're going to adapt to the, like the biggest change in marketing that we're going to um, have to change and, and, and completely never go back to? You know, I don't know about never, but I do think events, the, the ways that we will consume our information, receive our professional development, um, we are planning on the gathering, gathering again, but I don't know that we're going to plan that the gathering is going to represent 100% of what the gathering does. The gathering was a three-day event, largely. Now we're looking at how do you podcast it? How do you do digital stuff before or after? How do you do more remote things with smaller groups of people as opposed to one big thing with a thousand people? Or not, not, not opposed, in addition to. So I think we're just getting a much more, uh, the best thing that I heard was, you know, you figure e-commerce for the past 10 years has grown at 1% per year. And it's grown 12% in the past four months. Wow. So we basically lived a decade in four months of, of acceleration. So I think we're going to apply that same sort of acceleration to um, both things like gathering. The other big one is I think marketing is going to play a much bigger role on internal engagement. It's something that Colt's been doing for the past eight years, but the adage that all brands are built from the inside out is true but most marketing students are graduating thinking about ways to communicate to external audiences. So I think we're going to see a collision of HR skills and marketing skills that go into what's it like to work here. Because if you have to have now create a culture that isn't dependent upon everybody coming to work together every day, you need creative ideas, you need digital tools, you need copywriting, you need communications that allow that to work. So I think there's going to be a bigger field for marketers that aren't, aren't buying advertising. They're working on internal newsletters, they're working on internal um, you know, audio solutions that allow people to mingle. 
Right. Um, so what are some bad habits that you see in marketers today um, in your field? Two horrible habits. I, I've dedicated my career to ranting against this. We're addicted to mass media. So despite every indicator that would show that things like whether it's a Super Bowl ad or a Facebook campaign is not as effective as people like to think that they are, but they spend way too much money buying impressions. So we spend over $200 billion in North America alone each year on paid media, which is obnoxious. Think about what you could do with $200 billion if you got off that billboard or got out of that magazine or got out of the newspaper. And then the second one is I, I say that we're raising a whole generation of mark downers, not marketers. Um, marketing has become a, uh, a class of, or a, a craft of discounting. How do I issue deals? How do I issue coupons? How do I do buy one, get one freeze or limited time offers? That's what consumes the majority of the advertising that takes place today. And, and uh, I subscribe to the idea that if you're doing that, it's because you failed to properly market yourself. Lululemon doesn't do television commercials and rarely goes on sale because Lululemon decided to become a really great marketer, make a great product, create a great retail experience, vertically integrate, create a community of followers, foster their fan base. Um, that's marketing. Um, you know, somebody else is going to say it's by a, a pant half the price, shout it from the rooftops on paid media and discount it at 40% off. That's not marketing. That's just cheating, trying to create something that's as awesome as Lulu is. Right, right. Um, so what, what are some big moments in your career that sort of helped change your perspective um, of, of how you became a CEO? Um, you know, it, it obviously takes many, many steps and many journeys um, to get to where you are. Um, but what are some maybe lessons or just experience that you had that were able to shape you into the entrepreneur that you are today? Well, it's an, uh, going to ask you a clarifying question. What, what shaped me to form my opinions as a marketer? What shaped me to um, become an entrepreneur? Or what has made me want to be a CEO? What, what, what was the question? Let, let, let's go with what made you want to be a CEO and, and how you're able to get there. I certainly didn't ever aspire to be. The, I, I don't love being a CEO. I, I, I'm the CEO by default, I think. Um, I, I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I'm only the CEO because I haven't found a boss that I want to work for. <laughs> I, I have had bosses in the past that I adored and I was perfectly comfortable being their number two. I actually think being the number two to a CEO is a pretty great job because there's a lot of crap that a CEO has to deal with that I don't enjoy uh, dealing with. Um, but I, I've gotten a bit obstinate and stubborn and picky in my old age here. And uh, so because I haven't found somebody doing something that I am inspired by, I decided I have to inspire myself. Therefore, I'll create my own company to, to do it. Um, there are probably other people that have to be the boss. That's, that's not me. Um, I will likely hire a CEO at some point in the future because, like I said, there's things around HR and operations and finance that 
are my least favorite parts of my job. Uh, but I do like the fact that I can uh, focus on what I want to focus on and spend my time doing what I want to do. So certainly being the boss has its privileges. The best part about being the CEO is nobody's ever going to surprise me with a pink slip saying I'm fired. Like, I might fire myself one day because I can't stand working for myself. <laughs> but uh, the, one of the things that I think people, I have a friend that's gotten, he's had five jobs in eight years. He's very good at what he does. He's just, his companies have merged or been acquired or you know, mismanaged themselves. And I would, I hate that feeling of vulnerability that somebody else's mistakes is impacting my life. At least as a CEO, you sink or swim based on your own merits. Right. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to ask you a question, maybe on the other side of that then. Say somebody wants to become an extremely amazing marketer. They have this business idea. They want to become an entrepreneur but they don't know where to start. What kind of advice would you give to them? So again, I would just, I would really encourage you to think those two different questions. I think being an entrepreneur is very different than being an amazing marketer. You can, you can decide I'm going to create a company that does marketing and therefore I'm an entrepreneur who does marketing. The world would tell you the best marketers are not entrepreneurs. The best marketers work for Nike or Wyden Kennedy or Coca-Cola or you know, Harley Davidson, like they work at brands that do great marketing. So they're not entrepreneurial at all. They're just employees. They just love uh, doing marketing. So with, with that delineation, again, which one would you like me to answer? Um, let's go with the entrepreneur just because it's more of a piece of advice that you would give to somebody if they just don't know where to start, but they want to become an entrepreneur. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I was talking with uh, our intern here this morning about this idea of hustle porn. There, there is entrepreneurism is having a moment right now. It's being romanticized. It's being talked about. Gary Vaynerchuk is the poster child of get out there and go get your own. Um, I, I really um, uh, in, endorse and encourage entrepreneurship for the right kind of person but it is not for everybody it is hard um and so um, i i worry that people only it's like it's like my son that wants to be a doctor because he's watched 12 episodes of gray's anatomy it's like <laughs> what you're seeing on tv is not what or i don't know if you guys know many lawyers i know a lot of lawyers who never encourage people to become a lawyer because it's crap. I mean, you're spending 12 hours a day reading contract law. It's like, you're not, you can't handle the truth with kind of moments from Hollywood. It's like, it's a sucky job for a lot of time. It's lucrative, but I would never do anything just because it makes a lot of money. Life's way too short to, to not have a job that you love. So become an entrepreneur if you're convinced that there is nobody out there doing what you believe needs to get done. But if somebody is, just join forces with them, right? Because we don't need more entrepreneurs. We have more problems that need to get solved, but um, only do it if, you're so, if your burning passion is, I can't, I can't live in a world where this injustice is not being corrected. It doesn't have to be saving the planet. For me, it was, I could not stomach how much waste was being poured into mass media and markdowns for something that I love so much because I've seen it being done so well. I just loved what good marketing looks like and I couldn't find somebody that was doing it 
in, in a consultative way. So we had to create a company and do it. So I became an, an entrepreneur out of necessity because I needed to get that done versus I grew up dreaming about being an entrepreneur one day. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's great advice. Yeah. You're definitely right. <laughs> I love that. Thank you, Chris. Uh, just got a couple more questions here for you. Um, so based on your experiences and people that you've met and grown into forge relationships with over the last seven years of holding the gathering, who are some brands or some people that you aspire or inspire, inspire you that you hold to a high esteem? I know that you interact with, with the Bill Neffs and the, the Matt O'Neill's, the uh, Tim Harris's. I know all those people, uh, I've consumed some of your podcast content. Um, who do you look up to and who inspires you as marketers? You know, the, the three names you mentioned are all pretty good ones, I think, in, as a class. So one of my favorite parts of my job is when we start doing the research on who should be the eight honorees at the gathering. So we start with a little over 100 and through a series of, of interviews and evaluative criteria, whittle it down to the top eight. But getting to know these 100 brands and getting sort of a look under the covers at how they operate and what goes on behind the scenes there is a highlight because you can, I mean, I've been doing it for eight years now. Within probably five minutes, I can talk with a brand leader and know if they're a poser, if they're an asshole, if they're legit. Uh, because there's a, there's a confidence, not a cockiness. Um, I think the, there's a lot of brands that are filled with insecure um, leaders that make bad decisions out of either fear of looking like a fool or ego. Um, and there's a genuineness to a cult brand leader. I think a Tom Herbst from North Face, Jonathan Mildenhall from Airbnb, uh, Mindy from Marvel. There's just uh, Jennifer Sainz from Frito-Lay, where it's like, you just want to spend more time with them, not because they're smart, but because of their goodness. They're just they just want to, they want to do cool things. They want to surround themselves. They don't have to be the smartest person in the room, even though they frequently are. Um, so that's very exciting. And then on the flip side, when we're consulting and you go into, a, I, I just was talking with a brand uh, on Friday. It's like, I can't work with you. I'm sorry. We were just towards the final phase of our proposals. Here's what it's going to cost. Here's what you're going to get. And it was just like, you know what? I, I, we have to break up. I can just tell right now that you're going to end up hating me 30 days from now because I'm going to ask you to do things that you have no interest in doing. And, and you see it in life. You see people that are selling quick weight loss pills or, you know, quick solutions. And there's no, there are no quick solutions. If you want to lose weight, eat less donuts and go to the gym more often. And that means you're going to have to wake up early and sweat, right? And I'm sorry that it's not easier, but I'm not going to sell you the snake oil pill that claims to burn 40 pounds off your waistline. And some people don't want to do the work that's required to be awesome. Also, some people don't want to be awesome. It's weird to say that, but a lot of people are pretty content because it's safe being average. To become awesome, you have to take risks. You have to do some scary things. Brene Brown came to the gathering a few years ago. She says, every day you have to wake up and make a conscious choice. Am I going to be comfortable today or am I going to be courageous today? Because if you choose courageous, you're going to be really uncomfortable. And if you choose comfortable, you're not going to do anything particularly noteworthy. And so you got to, and some days you want to be comfortable because it's not, it's exhausting to be courageous all the time. 
but you got to decide what's it going to be today. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for that insight. I definitely share a lot of those uh, similar feelings with you on, on the waking up part and making it a mental mental choice. Um, our last question for you here, Chris. Um, coming out of this pandemic, the job market is very uncertain for a lot of our graduates and students here, not only at St. Lawrence College, but everywhere across the world right now in North America. I was wondering if maybe you could share with us some things that you look for in graduates or interns uh, that set them apart um, and what skills that you wish more graduates had coming out of college? You know, uh, the number one thing I would look for in a graduate is less to do with a skill and it's more to do with an opinion. I, I worry about how many graduates come out still with the desire to find themselves. Your four years of college should be your time to find yourself. You can reinvent yourself every five or 10 years, but like the number of graduates who you know, have do landscaping or wait, you know, serve bar on the nights and weekends, that's wasted time. Like those are good work ethic skills, but if you want to be a writer, you better be writing. If you want to code, you better be coding, right? So use your four years to find out, get some opinions about what you're good at, and then we'll get a job to verify, is this as cool as I thought it was going to be? I've always romanticized that my next phase of my career is going to be to teach. So I spent the past four years being a night instructor at a university here in Calgary saying, I don't want to learn if I like teaching or not after I've quit my job and I become a teacher. I want to learn now if that's going to be something that's going to be, or I need to change my plans, right? So use college to really decide. I just talked to way too many graduates that are indifferent about, well, I could do event marketing or PR, or maybe do some social media management, or it's like, very few companies need, need a 24-year-old that dabbles in 15 things versus I have mastered Facebook ads or I have mastered Google keywords or I have mastered, mastered as good as a 24-year-old or 22-year-old could master. But this is my passion. I want to be in the business of personal branding. I want to work in fashion. I want to do automotive. Like you got to pick something. And then if you hate automotive three years later, get out of it. But you know, I, I became a CEO at 35, not because I'm smart, but because I didn't dick around. I knew coming out of school that I loved retail and that I loved big branding. So I went and got a job at John Deere, which got me a job at Home Depot, which got me a job at Best Buy, which got me a job at an agency that worked with retailers. Like every job I got, I got because of the job I had before it. And the job I got out of school was because of the graduate program that I chose to go to that specialized in e-commerce marketing in 1999 when nobody knew what e-commerce was, right? So I think that you, you, whatever your skill is, is secondary to what your passion is. And I just see way too many young people that aren't particularly passionate about a thing. And then they expect people to pay them a lot of money for it. It's like, no, I'm gonna pay you a lot of money for expertise. So demonstrate to me how you're better than somebody else. And that's how you earn your paycheck. I love that. Thank you, Chris, uh, so much for your insight. Um, appreciate your time. Thank you so much for connecting with us all the way from Calgary today. Um, maybe we'll have you back on again soon. But uh, thank you from all of us here at The Voice Podcast for your time and your expertise. It was great talking with you today. Um, and we wish you best of luck in the future. Thanks for joining thank us. Thank you, guys.
Appreciate yeah, thanks it. so much, Chris. I know it'll mean a lot to most of our students as well, just hearing from you and everything that you've provided, oh, all the insights. Yeah, St. Lawrence has been a, a long part of our history for a long time. We had an office in Kingston, and uh, mm -hmm. some of our best employees have come through your program. So they're putting out a, a great product. Awesome. That's great to hear. Happy to hear that as well as a student recent grad of St. Lawrence. So glad, yeah. glad yeah. to hear you say that. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, Chris. We'll let you go. Appreciate your time. Have a good day. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks guys for tuning yeah. in. That concludes our interview. Um, and